July or August 2017, I'm back living at my parents' house again. And it's a random afternoon during the week. It's like 4 p.m. I'm home by myself. Both my parents are out working. Um, I, my, I know my dad was about to get home. Uh, the doorbell rings, and you know I look out there, and it's a big black, you know, government SUV truck thing. And there's two guys at the door who are obviously feds. Um, and oh, by the way, so side note, I've debated for a while about whether or not I should ever share this whole story and other you know related stories on a podcast. Uh, but at this point, I've done like a thousand podcast episodes. I'm 34 years old now. It's time to stop holding back my best material. So here we go. Okay, so <clears throat> this is real. This is real stories. Um, so these you know two guys are standing there, obviously federal agents of some sort. And um, I open the door and I kind of know what it's about because this is um, roughly six months after those uh, polygraphs that I did that gave an inaccurate result or were interpreted inaccurately or however I want to say it, right? And um, it's crazy because, you know, right after those, those the second polygraph, I had some um, some suicidal thoughts. It, was, it wasn't the first time I'd ever had suicidal thoughts in my life, and it actually wouldn't, you know, be the last. I've had them since then. It's really been three occasions in my life. Oddly enough, between 2017 and about 2021, there were just multiple, not really, it was more friends than myself going through suicidal episodes. Anyway, those are other stories for, uh, you know, other days, and I'm not going to jump too much in the topic of suicide since it's such a serious topic, but um, I did have some fairly brief suicidal thoughts after uh, I was told the results of the polygraph. And um, if you remember from chapter from chapter one of these uh, life lessons that came out a few days ago, there was that smoking hot uh, polygraph administrator <laughs> lady that I talked about um, that administered my second polygraph. And see, I actually, the reaction to it, my reaction to what happened was probably worse than the result itself. Okay, here's what happened. So we did the polygraph. I was explained the results of the polygraph. I was absolutely shocked because I'm like, no, that's not accurate at all. And, you know, I was going home that day. It was in the Washington, D.C. area. I was going to fly back to Minnesota, like going straight from there to the airport. And I literally went to the airport. Like I went to the airport and at this point, like the suicidal thoughts are creeping into my head. And um, just because like my world is ruined and I don't know what's going to happen next. So I go to the airport and um, I remember, like, I checked in for my flight. I was still, like, three or four hours early. Like, I checked into the flight, and I was just, like, sitting there. And I remember sitting in the terminal. I'm like, I can't leave. No, I can't I can't go home like this. No, I got to go back, and I have to do something. Like, I have to, you know, I have to go back. So, okay, I leave the airport again. I get in, like, a different Uber, go back to, you know, where we were, I'll put it that way, <laughs> where these polygraphs were taking place. And um, it's like a 10 minute ride. And it's funny because like you would think it wouldn't be that easy to get back in there, especially after the results of the polygraph. But anyway, I just, you know, I get back in, I get through security and everything. So the hot polygraph administrator was gone for the day. I wanted to talk to her directly. So she was gone for the day. So I ended up writing a letter that then the receptionist, you know, presumably gave to her the next day when she got back to work. And in the letter, I basically put, you know, it was a very long letter that I wrote. It was like, you know, front and back of a sheet of paper, handwritten in my crappy handwriting. And I pretty much told her that 
I want her to question the work that she does because it's very important for national security and she just did a terrible job on my polygraph and the results are plain wrong. Remember, I use that language too. This is the hilarious part. I use that language. I use the language plain wrong and it's just plain wrong. That's what happened. It was, it was like a 10-year-old throwing a fit. Like there was like a lot of passion and everything I wrote in the letter, like I meant what I said, but part of it was just like a 10-year-old throwing a fit. Like it wasn't a professional way to handle a conflict or a misunderstanding. And that's another lesson for everybody here is just, you know, handle conflicts professionally. But we'll get back to that in a second. So essentially what the results of the polygraph said is that that I'm a threat to U.S. national security. That's okay. That's what I'll say about the polygraph results. The polygraphs suggest that I was lying about certain things and that I'm a threat to U.S. national national security. Now, and I know I mentioned in the first of these lessons that I, you know, I signed that paper that said I won't share the results of the polygraph. I'm not sharing the results. It's a very vague way of sharing it. And we're seven years down the road and you guys already kicked me off and I never worked for the organization and whatever. Come after me again if you'd like. But okay, that's that's what I will share about the results of the polygraph is it suggests that I'm a threat to U.S. national security. Now, it's kind of ironic, too, because it's like here the whole time I wanted to work in the CIA to help U.S. national security. But, you know, life is ironic sometimes. Um, and it's interesting because, like, usually when we step away, like, especially if it's a lot of time passes, you know, like years later, like now we, we see it. We see it a lot more clearly. I just I see things a lot more clearly now why they worked out the way they did and like what I could have done differently in the situation. But um whenever yeah like whenever we can really just step away if you, like if you're going through a conflict in life or anything any sort of misunderstanding with a company with a person whatever if you can really just step back and observe things objectively it's really hard to do but if you can do it it's so helpful just to observe the most objectively you possibly can they say sometimes time heals all wounds i don't know if time heals all wounds but time does allow us to see things a bit more objectively typically if we're not super super stubborn now, the, the the interesting thing, well, a couple of interesting things about this, like now that I think about things objectively, is um, it's interesting how I was like roughly six months down or into the queue of importance in terms of national <laughs> security threats. Does that make sense? So like, so, you know, these guys, these federal agents came to my door six months later. They came to the door of my parents' house where I lived six months after that polygraph roughly. So that's where I was in the in the queue, in the line of national security threats. I was like six months down the line, basically. <laughs> um, you know, so like, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> however you want to think about that. But like, I'm like, well, okay, they didn't come after me the next day or whatever. But like, it's um, funny, because during those six months, really nothing had happened other than, you know, like a month after the fact, I got like a bland letter saying, we're sorry, we have rescinded your conditional offer of employment with the CIA. You will not be working for the CIA. And like, okay, I kind of, you know, guessed that, but it didn't say anything. It was just a boring letter, right? And of course I was, you know, angry and devastated when that happened, but like I kind of knew that was coming. And at the same time, I was like, in my personal life, I was starting to well, the way I like to describe it nowadays, I was starting to see ghosts. What I mean by seeing ghosts is when you're like scared that something bad is going to happen to the, you know, either the government or someone is out to get you, some bad guys maybe are out to get you, and you become paranoid. 
Yeah, that's a better way to put it, just becoming paranoid. And, of course, at the time, me thinking illogically, like, I was, like, fearing it was going to be something, like, in a movie. Like, they're going to come, like, you know, bang down my bedroom door, you know, and put a hoodie or, like, you know, put something over my head in the middle of the night, take me out to a black site and waterboard me to death or something like that. Like, like I was thinking, like, I had, like, the movie stuff in my head of, like, what's going to happen, basically. And, um, of course, I was, like, overreacting or, 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 you know, maybe not overreacting, but just reacting illogically because I would learn later on more recently uh, in life that really most of us civilians people who have not been trained in this stuff um, we tend to we don't really think through these things logically you know when we're when there's someone coming after us whether that's a, a government agency or whether that's actually like like a bad guy for example if you want to call it that um, when there's someone coming after us, we tend to think of things too emotionally and not logically enough. Um, and just like we don't even look at it correctly from that other party's perspective. You know, we don't look at it from a logical perspective, but more on that later. So, because, um, you know, I have a friend now, like he works for high level private security. And, well, okay, one of the things he always tells me is like basically, you know, if, if somebody wants you dead, like if somebody truly wants you dead, you're probably just going to be dead. And there's not that much you can do about it. But most of the time, we like get overly paranoid and we start seeing ghosts. But anyway, um, so they had, you know, uh, these guys standing at the door were U.S. Secret Service, like the guys who protect the White House and the president, right? And at the time, it didn't really even make sense that they had sent the Secret Service after me. Now it kind of does. Without getting into the details, now I kind of understand it, right? But anyways, these guys... They explain who they are. They said, okay, we're the U.S. Secret Service, and um, we're here because of, what did they say? They said, well, they just basically asked if I understood why they were here, if I know why they've been sent here. And I pretty much said, well, yeah, I, you know, I, I do. Um, and see, when I answered the door, I was, I was super scared. I mean, I looked like a deer in the headlights. Like, I, I knew this, maybe something like this could happen, but it happened on, like, such a random day at a random time, and I just wasn't ready for it. Um, and so I was like scared. I'm like, okay, what's going to happen now? So we talked for maybe like five minutes and then they kind of just realized that the whole thing was just a big misunderstanding and that I actually wasn't a national security threat. I mean, I think they could kind of like tell by my just like actual genuine deer in the headlights look probably also helped that I was wearing like I was dressed in pretty nice clothes at the time and was clean shaven like I had just gotten back from work that day um and i just like you know totally backed down like when i saw i'm like oh my god like i'm not gonna like and by back down i don't mean i was like looking for a fight but i just like i just got scared like i'm just like okay guys i'm, I'm sorry it was, it was literally just like it was metaphorically like the police showing up and me just like putting my hands up in the air i'm like oh my god okay um so we talked for five minutes and they just crossed me off their list who knows maybe they investigated me in other ways somehow i have no idea Right. Um, but, you know, they realized I was not actually a threat to national security. Um, and so <clears throat> they leave. And my dad actually got home like 10 minutes later. And um, I like I didn't say anything to him at the time. Um, and because I was kind of convinced at the time that I would never tell anybody about this just based on the whole situation. You know, obviously, you like try to join the CIA. There were only a few people. My parents did know that I was trying to join. Um, there were, you know, less than 10 people in my life that ever knew that I was trying to work for the CIA. Um, so, you know, you obviously don't 
tell many people about the whole thing to begin with. And then like when the whole thing goes south in a crazy way, like I wasn't going to tell like anybody. Um, but it was a very, it was a very scary time for me. And um, I ended up actually eventually telling both my parents about this like a year later, told them the full story and then told a few other friends. Uh, I mean, it was, it was a very, t- very scary time in my life. Um, but like the things that I learned from it uh, is that, well, when, whenever we're truly afraid, we tend to react too emotionally to things. There's also a lot of factors that add up. There's lack of sleep, which that's probably the reason the second polygraph went so bad because I only got three hours of sleep after the first one and it just compounded the problem. But, but anyway, our, re- our reaction to things, especially when we're in a stressful situation, is typically worse than the event itself. And it's really tricky on how to figure out when you're truly in a stress- stressful situation, how to react well. Um, but our reaction to things is typically worse than the actual event itself. What's going to cost you and what's going to, how do I put this? What's going to mentally <clears throat> or what's going to hurt your self-esteem in the long run is probably not actually going to be the events that happen to you, whether you get laid off from a job or you get rejected from an opportunity or you know your girlfriend, boyfriend dumps you or whatever, something like that. The event itself is probably not going to hurt your self-esteem as much as your reaction to it will. Because if you react in a way that's immature and that goes against your principles, which I did in this situation, just kind of mainly by overreacting. And I would also do it several times again in personal relationships in the following years after that. More on that in a later chapter. But our reaction to things is typically does us more harm than the event itself. Now, this at this point in my life like I was like I said I was 27 I was very paranoid for a lot of reasons Um, I've had several other episodes like this in different situations in you know the six or seven years since then that where I kind of became paranoid or started like seeing ghosts so to speak there was one time when I was in France oddly enough you know through all this I I never was put on the no-fly list as far as I know well I mean I I was always able to travel um one time uh, something happened in France then there was when I was in possible like a it was basically like cartel territory of Mexico kind of like started seeing ghosts or getting really paranoid again but but the thing about it is what I've learned from the people that I've met and and you know worked worked with and spoken to are actually like professionals in this is that the pros rationalize these situations way better than regular civilians like you and me. Like, I'm assuming you're just a regular person and you're not some, you know, special ops, you know, uh, or military, whatever. Um, the pros think rationally, not emotionally, and it's very, very difficult to do. Uh, but more on that in later episodes. Um, yeah, that's all I got for you today. Talk again soon. Love you all. Peace.